Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to this Horse and Hound podcast advertising episode with Elite Stallions. I'm Polly Bryan, Sport Horse Breeding Editor at Horse and Hound. I'm joined by Lorna Wilson, Managing Director of Elite Stallions, as well as Anna Ross, International Grand Prix Dressage Rider, who heads up sister company Elite Dressage. We also have two professional riders from the worlds of dressage and eventing with us to discuss sourcing superstars and how to get the most from your breeding programme. I'm joined first of all by Anna Ross from Elite Dressage and Alex Harrison. Alex is an international dressage rider, accredited trainer and the UK's youngest List 3A dressage judge. He runs livery and training facility Collective Equestrian alongside Johnny Clark West in Somerset. Hi Anna, hi Alex. Hi there. Hello. So we're going to talk first of all about how to source a future top horse. Alex, you have found some of your horses through Anna Ross and Elite Dressage, haven't you? Including one very special recent addition to your string. Yes, Vamoosh. Just tell us a little bit about Vamoosh, uh, why she is special and how you came to find her. Well, I think... You know, when you're looking for a young horse, my initial thing is if I'm watching a video, I've got to like it in the first, you know, five seconds. Um, And I remember seeing a video of Alex Baker riding for Moosh in the outdoor arena at Anna's. And within five seconds, I was like, oh, God, I love that animal. And I kind of (laughs) kept stalking her a little bit. I was, you know, being a bit creepy on Alex's Facebook page for quite a while, trying to see little clips of her. And the more I watched, the more I liked. Um, and yeah, I just sent Anna a message and was like, okay, I've waited long enough. I need to come and ride it now. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And she is a particularly, uh, exciting mare, isn't she? Because she's got a rather famous mother. Just let us know who that is. Yeah. So her mum is Woodlander Farouche that Michael Elberg rode and won the Young Horse Breeding Championships. Um, and she won class at the Nationals. So, you know, she's got a lot to live up to there. Um, but, you know, you can kind of see glimpses of her, of her mum in her, you know, the way she moves through her body and the way she, you know, especially her trot, I think, you know, resembles her, the way her mum went a lot as well. So hopefully uh, exciting things to come. Really, really exciting. Um, so, Alex, when you set out to find and buy a new horse, whether that's for yourself or maybe on behalf of an owner, what is it that you look for from the process of finding a horse is it being able to see lots of horses all in one go on one day is it having x-rays readily available is it the quality of of the selection in front of you what are the things that you are most looking for from the process of buying so having had many a wasted trip out to you know germany and the netherlands um only to then get home and see the x-rays and realize that the horse is a little bit of a crock um I, I kind of think having x-rays on hand so you can show your vet and before you even you know take a foot out your front door you you can kind of have some confidence knowing that the horse you're going to see is more likely to live up to the job because the x-rays are acceptable to you and you know everybody has a different standard that they would accept from a set of x-rays so i think that's really important in terms of time and then i think the first impression of a horse is the most important thing and if you do have lots of horses to view in one visit then it can be really helpful because you can kind of you know if, if you've gone there to look at one horse you can kind of pit that against the others that you see on the day so you can go actually is this you know above average quality or is it kind of sitting in the middle of the pack and depending on you know who you're looking for so if it's myself I want the one which you know 
grabs grabs the attention and kind of I don't mind if it's a bit fiery or whatever but it wants to be the one that screams look at me but then if you're looking for a client then actually you might go actually that one slots really nicely in the middle it looks like a good guy that's probably the one for them interesting so coming over to you now Anna um really interesting to hear what Alex had to say about seeing several horses in one go and having those x-rays on hand because that's exactly the sort of thing you offer elite dressage isn't it Yes, absolutely. I have many years of going to Europe and many years of buying horses abroad and have thoroughly enjoyed that that experience. But what I felt that we really lacked in this country was a comparable experience. For example, you know, if I was to go abroad, then there were horses with x-rays first, as Alex said, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore you tend to waste a lot less time. And also it can be, it's a really emotional thing buying a horse and, you know, you can get yourself all psyched up and excited. Of course. And then it's always so disappointing if something, um, you know, something came up on the x-rays afterwards. So we try to recreate that same experience. Obviously, we are attached to a large breeding farm, Newton Stud, which gives us our numbers. But also, we try and recreate that by pre-X-raying horses. Now, it goes without saying that we assume that every client will want their own X-rays done by their own vet. And we fully encourage that in the interest of transparency all round. But what it does mean is that we don't offer horses that have a problem. And I also felt that it was kind of wrong for people to need to tell us if there was a problem with our horse. I feel that abroad, the emphasis has always been on the vendor to do that. And I felt that as vendors, that was our responsibility. So we x-ray all the horses at three years old and we go from there. And if there is um, a finding on the x-rays, that's fully transparent and we, we send it in advance. And yeah, we have obviously, we are a big breeding farm or attached to a big breeding farm. So we have a lot of variety in the horses and, you know, we very much hope we have, have something for, for everyone. Well, you've definitely got enough choice. And, and of course, coming to you allows you, as Alex was saying, to see several horses in one go, doesn't it? And, and potentially a bit of a variation if, if people, you know, had, had slightly differing ideas of what they might want to, uh, to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, we love it when a rider like Alex comes in. I, you know, I consider him to be one of our most exciting talents coming up through the levels. And, you know, it's always great to have someone like Alex come in to sell a, sell a horse to because we know that if Alex says he doesn't mind a sharp one, he knows what sharp is. And, you know, sometimes people come in and they say, oh, I want a really forward going horse. And then as they, if you sort of put them on one, they're like, oh, I'm not so comfortable actually with that. Mm. And, and we can sort of work our way from there. Um, the fact they're all in one place gives us time to, to sort of assess the rider and the horses. And I think one of our strengths is that we know the families. Often we've ridden the mothers. Sometimes we've even ridden the fathers as well. That can give us a really good insight into the horses that we are selling um, and their characteristics. And if somebody's buying a mare, we may well have bred from that mare ourselves and be able to offer some insight into, into a breeding program going forward for that owner. So I think that having the knowledge of the mares ourselves and often competed them ourselves means that you're not just sort of throwing yourself into this, this sort of abyss because we've got heritage, we've got families, we've got bloodlines, we can often introduce somebody 
to the siblings or the mother. Oh, and obviously we've got a full history on record of that horse from a veterinary perspective. Which, of course, is really, really valuable. And it's interesting that both you and Alex mentioned uh, buyers going across to mainland Europe, in particular Germany and the Netherlands, um, Mm. because, of course, it is often widely thought that in order to find and buy a really top quality horse, especially with dressage in mind, you do need to go to Europe. But actually, super horses can be found right here in the UK, can't they? Well, I think that, I mean, our British team has shown that, you know, particularly Carl and Charlotte riding so many um, British bred horses. And also, obviously, Brexit has really very much changed that um, buying abroad and made it, you know, made it more expensive, much more so. And there are, you know, many studs in the UK that have been, you know, breeding good horses with good riders on the mares. And therefore, we're able to hopefully present a really bright future from a breeding perspective. And in terms of prospective buyers and, you know, looking for their their perfect horse, how can a rider tell if a horse they are trying, if they're thinking about buying, is actually cut out for whatever job they want it to do, whether that's reaching the area festival championships or going to the Olympics? What should they be looking for at any level uh, relative to their own expectations that will tell them that horse could be the one? Um... I'm going to leave that one with Alex. Well, I think, the, well, the short answer is you, you don't ever really know because, you know, horses are always, and everybody has to accept that any horse you buy, no matter how good the breeding, it can be a bit of a gamble. But mm-hmm. you, like Anna said, you know, you set yourself up with the best chances if, you know, like like Anna does with the horses, you know, you know the mum, you know the dad, you know, the long-term soundness of you know the heritage of that horse so they're all factors that can contribute to having a safer bet and then I think it you know it comes down to you need to have somebody around when you're looking who can be really objective because you know it, it, it is an emotional thing buying a horse and it's really easy to go oh well that one you know cuddled me in the stable so I really want that one so it is good to have somebody there to hold your hand and say yeah, I did cuddle you in the stable, but it did also buck you off. So maybe <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. And then, you know, depending on what, what level of competition you're looking for, you can, if we want to go to pet plans, we know that this horse needs to be really sensible. It needs to be safe and trainable. So you may not need the flashiest movement. So it's being practical about that. But then mm-hmm. if you want to get to an Olympics, then you, you probably need one that is a little bit flashier. But um need to accept that it might be a little bit harder to train so if you are ever going and looking at a horse or looking for a client um if i look for myself you know i brought my partner johnny with me if i'm looking for a client you know they're bringing me along so it just helps to be really objective and just be so practical when you're looking at a horse and if it does nozzle you in the stable that's great but it has to do the job as well yeah and I think you need to take the same friend with you that would tell you you looked fat in those trousers in the changing room of the dressing, uh, uh, you know, in the changing room in the shop. You know, you take those friends and you're trying to buy an outfit and they go, oh, you look fantastic. And, you know, you look awful. Um, you don't need that one. You need the really honest one. <laughs> and I yeah. think the other thing is I, I always think sort of being in love with a horse, it, it's a little bit like fancying someone somebody can present you or you know maybe when you're young your mother will present you with a series of you know tall good-looking doctors that are you know financially sound and and suitable in every way but you just don't fancy them 
And I think you it's almost that same feeling with the horse. You have to love the horse because if you feel that click with the horse, you will forgive it all sorts of things. You know, it's, it's never a straightforward road with any horse, you know, however well matched you are. And I think that that that's what takes you through the, the you, you know the tricky times. If you still fancy your partner, even when you're having a row, you know you still fancy them. You still want to be with them. And I think that that's got to be the same when you buy your horse. Although I'm not quite sure how you recognise that. I suppose it's just a feeling. And then somebody like Alex tries to talk you out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've got to believe and love at first sight. Yes, yes. <laughs> it sounds as though we should never go horse purchasing together because I'd be like, I love him. And you would be like, ah, <laughs> don't be stupid. <laughs> I suppose it's a combination, isn't it, of, uh, of of gut feeling and intuition about a horse and also practicalities and uh, knowing exactly what you want it to do. Um, any other top tips either of you have for, for horse hunters? If, if someone was, uh, was, was just starting to entertain the idea of buying their next horse or buying their first horse where would you advise them to start Anna well I would say the first thing is try and have a really open mind I mean I have people in my you know in my phone and from their first inquiry where you know maybe their name is I don't know Florence and it says Florence bay gelding only and that's how I've saved them in my phone (laughs) <laughs> and I happen to know that Florence bought a chestnut mare, you know, a year later when she couldn't find the ideal bay gelding, you know. So I think keeping that open mind is really, really important. Um, and also sometimes if you, you know, it can be sometimes that if people are buying young horses for us, um, from us, they um, they can't decide between between two. And then I just say to them, listen, ask your vet, which one does your vet think is the better? And, you know, and that can be quite a good way of of doing it, you know, and and then you can forever blame your vet. (laughs) In the end, no horse is perfect. And, you know, there's some things that some people will find acceptable that others others won't. Some people don't mind a small sarcoid or perhaps a, a stable vice or a slightly turned foot, whereas other people that's a huge problem for. So I think it's just being practical, understanding that horses aren't made out of, you know, plastic models and and thinking what can what can you really honestly work with? Like if your sitting trot is not your forte, you do not probably want a horse that looks like it's kicking its front teeth out with its front legs um, (laughs) when it does a trot extension. Very, very sensible advice. Alex, anything to add? Any more top tips for horse hunters here in the UK? Well, it's funny you should mention that, actually, Anna, about the sitting trot being comfortable, because any time we go look at a horse for Johnny, his, you know, his mane, I mean, <laughs> apart from it being very large, because he likes large horses, um, his, you know, his main objective is finding a horse which is comfy to sit to the trot, because he's had so many which are really not. So I think that's probably quite true for, for many people also. But and when you're looking at a horse, I think it's really important to take your time because I think desperation leads to bad decisions and I've seen it so many times you know you know clients can send me lots of different horses and you know it's yards with single horses here and there and they spend all their time going around to various different places and they keep sending them through and I said no not that one not that one not that one because you know I am a bit cutthroat like that but 
they they then start to make get a bit angry because they're like, well, you just don't like anything I send. And then they they go and make a rash purchase. And then six months later, they're like, God, I wish I'd waited. So I think it's great having elite dressage in the UK because you can see so many and you can see so many at different ages. And I think up until now, it's been really difficult because people have been, you know, getting frustrated that they just can't find what they want in the UK. And, you know, some people are dubious about going abroad and the time it then takes they get frustrated and normally then make a bad decision because it's rushed. Um, So I, you know, I I do keep advising people. It's like, you know, just find the right one. Don't go for it just because you're frustrated and you want one now, get the one that is right. And actually I think it is a bit easier now in this country because we do have bigger breeding programs and more choice. Of course. And I think that's something that, uh, people are becoming more and more aware of is just how much choice there actually is here in the UK. Um, Alex, you mentioned buying youngsters there uh, just in passing. And I actually did want to to touch on that because I know that for a lot of people, it can often be incredibly tempting to buy to buy youngsters, to buy, you know, a, a just backed horse and because they want to do everything themselves from from day one. And sometimes that can be a really wonderful idea. Other times, potentially some people should think about going for a slightly older horse. Is that right? Well, I think horses deserve a good start in life. Mm -hmm. I think we owe that to them. And I think it is the rider's responsibility and their duty to be objective about their own skills and be able to go, actually, is this going to be, this might be lovely for me, you know, having a horse from, you know, I'm going to back it myself and do everything. But is that the right thing for the horse? And a lot of times that is no. And if you want to own a horse from a youngster, you want to breed your own horse, great. But either make sure you're good enough to do it yourself or have people around you that can really hold your hand the whole way through. And that might mean they say to you, you really do not need to ride this horse until it's five or six. And then you have to, you know, trust the people that are saying that to you, that they're um, doing it for your and the horse's best interest. And you may need to pay them to ride it for that whole time. And then you'll, you know, you'll have a a great horse at the end of it. And I think that's really important for people to think really hard about when they're buying a young horse is that it's great for you. How is it for the horse? Because you don't want to be learning when they're learning. You know, green and green makes black on blue. So (laughs) that would that would be my my take on it. Really, really good advice there, I think. And um, and Anna, just coming over to you on, on the same point, I know that uh, buying through Elite Dressage does actually take the, uh, the the trickiness out of buying a young horse in a way, doesn't it? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what Alex is saying there. Um, I mean, you don't put two children in a room and say they're going to learn from each other. And in the same way that a lot of people who come to buy horses from them um, from us, rather, have their own, you know, skill sets in their own job that I would have no idea where to start with. You know, I wouldn't walk into somebody's office who was an accountant or a solicitor, you know, sit down at the desk and say, well, I can do the same <laughs> job as you can here. Um, I think it, what Alex says about giving the horse a good start is vital. And that's one of the reasons, um, you know, I'm very fortunate in the team I have around 
me. I have uh, Beth Bainbridge, who's been with me for 10 years, who's a Grand Prix rider and an international competitor. And also Alex Baker, who's been with me for nearly as long, who is an international Grand Prix competitor herself. Uh, and they oversee the training of all the young horses. And so therefore we're not just chucking our, you know, our worst rider onto these, on, onto these horses and sort of as cannon fodder, you know, our young horses are schooled by skilled riders from the very beginning. And I, I think um, that was something that Alex liked in finding, you, you know, you, en you enjoyed riding Vamouche, didn't you? You know, she felt nice to ride and was well-educated. Um, yeah, I got, you know, I got on her and I was like, oh, yes, I can waft around on this quite nicely. I'm yes. enjoying that. <laughs> Those were your words. Yes. He said, oh, good. I can, wa I can just waft around on this. <laughs> well, you don't want it to be too much hard work, do you? You've got to, no. don't want to break a sweat. <laughs> but, no, absolutely not. Who, who wants to get their big sweaty? Um, but, I <laughs> but I think it's, you know, that that is really important. You know, that good start from skilled riders that the horses have. And I'm actually slightly bossy with people when they ring up because, you know, it's only in my interest that, that people find a nice horse that they love. And also, let's face it, England is a very small island and um, I, I like having a drink and socialising with people at shows. The last thing I want to do is have to run around the countryside avoiding all the people who are unhappy because I've mismatched them with their horse, you know. So, you know, I'm, I'm quite fussy when people call and I always ask them, who their trainer is, if they're buying a young horse or who they work with. And it's often a good idea also if I speak to the, the trainer, and this is all a matter of research for that particular client, if they're new to buying young horses. And it is and it's purely because I want it to work. Some people actually buy from the field, they buy two-year-olds or yearlings, um, or three-year-olds and then my team start them for them and then we pass them over to their trainers and and riders so we've actually done that with a collective equestrian alex's um alex's business before had young horses that we've started there and then we've passed over to their team and and that's that's gone really well as well so it is a real big it's a big team effort with everybody you know bringing their skill set um, because we all want the same thing. We all want it to work and to have fun. Of course. And at the end of the day, that is what it is all about. That's been really interesting. I really hope that our listeners will feel a little bit better equipped the next time they head out horse shopping. Well, for now, thanks so much to Alex and to Anna. We're going to move over now to chat with Lorna Wilson from Elite Stallions and British international event rider Sarah Bullimore. Sarah rode on the British team at the 2015 European Championships and also won individual bronze at the 2021 European Championships. She's also ridden on several Nations Cup teams and runs Bullimore Eventing near Kiso in Bedfordshire with her husband Brett. Hi Sarah, hi Lorna. Hi there. Hi Polly. So Sarah, just coming over to you first, tell us a little bit about your breeding programme at Bullimore Eventing, some of the horses that you've bred and your goals for this coming season. Well, yeah, started a little while ago now. So our basically foundation mare, if you like, uh, Lily Corinne, as you said, went to the 2015 Europeans. And we had already actually done a embryo transfer with her. And we probably should have should have quit while we were ahead, as that was the now 11-year-old that went to the European Championships and got a bronze medal 
in uh, September last last year. And of course, there you mean Kuroe by Balu Darue. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we had we had a lovely mayor who could have done any job. And we just, you know, it started as a little bit of fun that we thought, well, you know, why, why wouldn't you? She, you know, she literally could have, could have done pure dressage or jumping or, you know, anything. Um, and so it's so difficult to actually find a smart young horse, you know, or they're out of price range. So mm-hmm. we thought we'd try and breed one. And it's basically just, just gone on from there. So yeah, we're carrying carrying on and and um, hoping to breed more. Wonderful. And uh, one of the most crucial aspects of the breeding process, of course, is choosing the right stallion for your mare. We all know the mares are hugely important, but of course, it does take two. Um, Sarah, what sort of process do you use when it comes to deciding on which stallion to use for a mare? I think the main thing is understanding the sort of weaknesses that your own mare may have and then basically you know looking for something that one you like uh, and that maybe you know if your mare is I don't know maybe a bit downhill or something you don't want a stallion that's downhill you know it's it's Mm. trying to balance out things that you don't necessarily want to reproduce and you know hopefully bring out the good points and improve the you know the lesser the lesser points um but for me i mean yes i'm i'm lucky with you know with with lily because she's pretty pretty perfect in all ways (laughs) as such um (laughs) but you know a lot of a lot of people talk about their stallions as improvers and with with Lily, there's a lot of stallions that you think, well, that wouldn't really improve improve my mare. But you've got to like it. You've got to basically do your homework because at the end of the day, everybody wants you to use their stallion, and everybody's competing, you know, for you to use their stallion. So you've got to make sure that it is the right fit for your for your mare. I mean, my my Lily would be quite a forward going and um she'd have a very good brain but she could be a little bit excitable um in a big atmosphere so you know you don't want to go to a a stallion that's renowned as being overly hot because you could Mm. get something that's really you know really quite fiery um so for me it's it's all about confirmation um attitude and temperament and you know and they've got to have the ability themselves it's you know it's no point having a horse that you know might be able to run fast but if it actually can't jump you know or it or it doesn't move very well then you know what's what's the point in sort of devaluing what you're starting with sure yeah really really good points there and you mentioned doing your homework and you know finding out as much about the stallions that are sort of in contention as possible and i imagine that working with elite stallions has really helped you do that is that right absolutely that's that's one of the main things you know a lot of stallions that lorna sees so lorna would always be my sort of first port of call to say basically right do you know this stallion or you've got this on your books or whatever will that suit lily um and because not you know it's difficult to there's so many stallions out there you can't go and visit everyone 
but Lorna probably has seen most of them and says, oh, no, yeah, that that one won't suit. But what about this one? Have you seen that? And it's like, oh, I'm not even, you know, not even aware of that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, Lorna is a, is a huge asset in, in helping pick the right one. Lorna, just coming over to you now, it's clear that you can really help take the stress out of the the process of choosing a stallion for a lot of breeders. I think at the end of the day, choosing the right stallion for your mare is a process that should be enjoyable and not tortuous. And and so, and I think one of the benefits that we have is because we're, com- we're completely independent. We work with, I think, 40 different studs, 500 stallions. We're not affiliated to any particular one or, you know, associated with one more than another one. Um, we can offer totally independent and impartial and honest advice. So I think... I think that's sort of one of the benefits of, you know, our, you know, gaining experience from from what we've done. I've been breeding myself for, you know, over 20 years now and attending stallion shows throughout that that time and even before. And so, you know, understanding not only the stallions that are available on the market now, but seeing their fathers or their grandfathers or whatever over time, um, has allowed us to give a sort of depth to our advice as well as, you know, keeping that independence in, in what we're suggesting to people. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, choosing the stallion is just one element of it. There is then the question of whether to use fresh, chilled or frozen semen. Sarah, what's your preference there? To be fair, I would be slightly guided by my vet. Um but I think it all depends, again, on the quality of the semen um, from the stallion. Because, you know, there's some some stallions that you may get chilled, but it might not be great quality. So, and then again, I mean, I'm I'm not um, an expert on this at all. Uh, that's more, more Lorna's, Lorna's domain. But, you know, I think some, some stallions appear to freeze better than others some actually they're frozen can be better than they're chilled so mm. um not quite sure how that works but yeah i think it depends on the quality of the stallion semen in the first place but i wouldn't you know p- people often shy away from using frozen but we've had really good success with frozen and you know we've had success chilled and you know and frozen so mm. i wouldn't necessarily have a huge preference I mean I know we were getting a bit late in the season and we tried a couple of stallions that hadn't hadn't worked and actually in the end um, we went with a stallion that's that had a very good reputation for the quality of its frozen semen and that worked first time and we got the mare got the mare in foal with with frozen first go Lorna, do you want to come in here just to sort of elaborate on some of the, the pros and cons, especially when it comes to, to frozen semen, which I think sometimes can get a bit of a bad name that it doesn't deserve. Is that right? Yeah, I think I think very much so, actually. And I think, you know, the, 
the the myths about frozen semen are certainly being disproved now in the basis that you know techniques have come on so far freezing techniques and and you know advances in the science and the machine you know the the equipment that's used to freeze the semen has actually improved quality no end and because we we supply semen to so many mares and not just in the UK we do Ireland and Poland and, and places as well we have offices there we can get a really good overview of what semen is working very well and I think the thing with frozen semen is we can ship it you know weeks in advance if required and it can sit at the vet's practice and so there's no sort of there's no stress involved in the process it can be there and it can be ready and it can be waiting so what what we try to do is when when people ask me for breeding advice and i give six stallions or you know half a dozen stallions that i think are most suitable for that mare and and then say to the clients, but these ones are available only with frozen semen or these ones are only available with chilled semen. You speak to your vet and see what your vet says, because they will have probably done a pre-breeding assessment on that mare. And if they're happy and the client has no, no issue with that, then then it's not a problem at all to use the frozen semen. And then, you know, you can never miss a cycle. There's no mm. excuse for missing a cycle if the, the frozen semen is is on hand, so to speak. And presumably it can often actually work out more more cost efficient for the breeder as well. Yeah, it can. And I think it just depends entirely on the breeder's circumstances. You know, we have many, you know, professional riders that that like to send their, their, their breeding horses to stud and that is dealt with or to the vet's practice. And they deal with it because at the end of the day, you know they're they're sports people and that's what they're doing especially at that time of year so for for those clients where the horse goes to a clinic or to a stud for insemination then it's absolutely fine but there are some clients that you know want to do the breeding at home and that's totally fine it's just sometimes those vets can't do the frozen semen purely because of you know they're on the road they're perhaps you know trying to scan a lot of mares in a lot of different locations in the day and they physically can't scan a mare three times in a day to check whether she's ovulated to inseminate with frozen semen so it does depend somewhat on you know the circumstances of the breeder and we you know can obviously be flexible to to take that into consideration if i know that in advance then obviously we can tailor breeding advice accordingly but um i don't think there's there's any reason now not to consider frozen semen unless your vet says i I physically can't do it because of my you know i'm so busy or this just wouldn't be suitable for your mare and and that's you know that's basically veterinary advice sure yeah of course um and as we were saying earlier the mare of course is exceptionally important sarah what role does embryo transfer play in your breeding program you you mentioned that you that you used it with lily yeah it's played a a huge part because obviously um i mean lily has eight foals on the ground but actually she only carried her own for the first time last year okay so you know, it's played a huge, a huge part. And certainly all her early young stock were while she was actually competing. And, you know, she was a career girl. So, um, you know, she was far too, far too posh to push, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was great. But, um, you know, it's, it's just timing it so that you ideally, you know, she'd, she'd often do a spring three day and then we think, okay, she's having a quiet a couple of weeks um let's try and get the timing and and um 
you know, do it while she's having her a, a quieter sort of couple of weeks. Mm. But that hadn't always worked. And I think one of one of the youngsters in the early days, I think actually in between insemination and flushing, I think Lily actually went round a short form, format four star. So that that foal had actually been four star before it was even born. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> but you know, added added element. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's great because it means that the horse is able to still be out there competing, and actually, it's you know, it's better for the the young stock long term as well if if they are ever on the market which I mean, it's not our primary reason for, for breeding, but, you know, if long term they were on the market, you know, obviously the mare is still able to continue their career. And, and so it, it then just adds value to the to the young stock. Yeah, of course. And embryo transfer is it's becoming more and more uh, popular and widely available to, to breeders in this country, but it's only one of, of many breeding technologies that are actually becoming more and more available. Lorna, what other breeding technologies should breeders be aware of now? Um, well, obviously, embryo transfer was was a massive step forward and, and now is sort of very commonplace because mm. it allows people to, as Sarah did, compete their mare. And also older mares that perhaps shouldn't carry their own foals can can then continue breeding. Of course. Um, and also what I think it allows you to do is certainly with, you know, with Anna at, at Elite Dressage, we we flush multiple embryos from the younger mares. And then you can step step forward in your breeding program quite quickly because if you've got five foals from a mare in a year, you can then certainly see what bloodlines work better or worse, or and it allows you to adapt your choices. So I think embryo transfer, you know, has made a massive step forward, and now sort of the next the next thing which is becoming more and more popular is um, the the IVEP process and and the where you take the unfertilized embryo uh, oocytes, the unfertilized eggs from from the mare that you want to breed from. And then you you using a micro manipulator in a in a lab setting, um, manually fertilize the embryo with a single sperm cell, and and what that allows is for mares that perhaps can't breed in traditional manners, or for very very high sport performance mares where you don't want to do multiple embryo flushes through the season, mm. it's performed out of season when a mare is in a what we would deem a transitional cycle when they've got multiple follicles, and and that allows you to to take more unfertilized eggs from those mares and gives you a perhaps a higher chance of making multiple embryos using the same semen or different semen. Um, in one setting, which is much more advantageous for those mares who are perhaps traveling all around the world in sport. And that's become more and more difficult post-Brexit because of the costs of sending oocytes, semen um, to Italy, where traditionally it's been performed. So we have developed at Elite Stallions um, at our, our base, um, a, a brand new ICSI lab um, at vast expense um, to try and make that service more readily available, more commercially viable to the to the British breeders. So what we're currently doing um, is last winter, we, we just did all the oven pickup um, procedures multiple, multiple times um, on many, many of the recipient mares. And, and now what we're doing is trialling the whole process. And what we want to do is ensure that we've, you know, we've sort of nailed it. Um, 
at our lab so that then we can hopefully offer that commercially to, to breeders in the UK from hopefully 2023. Um, that's that's the plan, which will be a lot much less sort of costly um, and and painful experience in terms of, you know, um, paperwork and cost, really. Really, really exciting stuff. Um, just for our listeners who might not know all of the different abbreviations and terminology, just explain what ICSI and uh, IVEP are, what, what what the difference between them is. IVEP is the whole process of taking out the egg, inseminating it, you know, manually, and then maturing the embryo. And ICSI is the where you basically put the sperm manually under the microscope into the oocyte to fertilize it. Well, it is incredibly fascinating and really, really exciting that that process will actually be happening for breeders right here in Britain uh, very, very soon. Thank you so much, Lorna and Sarah, for your insights. It's really fascinating to hear about all the options out there and how breeders can make sure that they make the best possible decisions for their horses and their own goals. Thanks, Lorna. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Polly. No problem. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much to all of our guests, Lorna Wilson, Anna Ross, Alex Harrison and Sarah Bullimore. Thank you for listening to this Horse and Hound podcast advertising episode with Elite Stallions. Please do rate, review and share the podcast if you can. And of course, to find out more information about Elite Stallions, do visit elitestallions.co.uk. Listener.